literally every country in Latin America has a rentista scheme. And if you have a, a rental property in the States and you can show that, you know, that's, that has money coming in, or if you have a, a pension, obviously, then you could basically get residency in every country in Latin America. And what's cool is you could take that same income stream and basically show it to every single government. And you could probably go around the sweep the continent and get 20 residence visas with using that same income stream. <laughs> Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraschowski, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from remote work experts, digital nomads, and location-independent entrepreneurs, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Vance from MyLatinLife.com, a site dedicated to helping you travel and live in Latin America since 2014. Vance and I took a deep dive into why you should consider visiting or setting up a home base in Latin America. We covered safety, top tips for traveling in the region, and what some of the most interesting Latin American countries to visit are. But before we jump into the interview, two quick things. Number one, if you have not subscribed to my newsletter, Remote Insider, yet, make sure to do so. Every Monday, I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called a mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you'll also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider, all one word. And number two... I would personally like to invite you to join our TRL listener Slack channel, which you can find at thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. In the Slack channel, you'll be able to have direct contact with me, meet other listeners of this show passionate about the future of work, the digital nomad lifestyle, and entrepreneurship, and we'll be putting together events and Q&As with some of our biggest podcast guests to dive in even deeper with them. Access to the Slack channel is completely free. And again, that link is thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. Finally, if you haven't left a review of the show already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. You can also do that by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL, which is super easy and takes just a minute to do. And I would greatly appreciate you doing that. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Vance from mylatinlife.com. All right, Vance, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Doing well yourself? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to have you on here. Uh, so for people who don't know, uh, you run a website called mylatinlife.com. You also have a podcast called My Latin Life, and it's all about living in Latin America. So uh, I thought it'd be really fun to have you on here and just kind of like go really deep on Latin America, what it's like, why remote workers should go there, and you know what are some of the maybe uh, hidden gems that people aren't focusing on so much. But before we jump into that, can you kind of give like a uh, a short overview of what My Latin Life is as a brand and what people can find on the website and on the podcast? Yeah, sure. Uh, MyLatinLife.com is the website. It's a blog that's been around since 2014. We have over 100 city guides to nearly every city in Latin America. We have a podcast, the My Latin Life podcast. There's 30 published episodes and I got another dozen that I need to put out. 
And uh, we have a pretty popular Twitter. So at my Latin life is the Twitter and pretty active there pretty much every day, just talking about the benefits of living in Latin America and uh, the day-to-day struggles and triumphs and all that fun stuff and just connecting with everyone in the community on there. Yeah, you're definitely very active on uh, on Twitter. I think you're like maybe one of the the people that I interact with the most or that we interact back and forth with on 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 tweets. So uh, that's very cool. But anyways, let's dive into it. So where I want to start with Latin America is kind of the elephant in the room. When people talk about going to Latin America, moving to Latin America, visiting there, working from there, whatever it may be, the very first topic that people want to discuss is safety. That was definitely the thing that I got asked the most when I traveled to Latin America first was from like family or friends asking like, hey, Mm -hmm. uh, are you sure that you can travel to Mexico? And I know that Mexico isn't, you know, all of indicative all of Latin America. But can we kind of talk about the safety aspect of traveling to Latin America? What are countries that are dangerous that you wouldn't go to? Uh, What are countries that are not dangerous and that people shouldn't be as concerned about? And just generally speaking, how do you view that question? Like, do you think it's like people are being dramatic about it? Like, just I'm curious what your feelings are in terms of safety in Latin America. Yeah, for sure. I would say if you're thinking about traveling to Latin America, you need to realize that it's a one-way trip. You're probably going to die. You're never going <laughs> to see your family again. So uh, just keep that in mind. L- hug your your mom tightly and, and say goodbye for one last time. Um, but no, seriously, I think um, it's a big region. I mean, it's over 700 million people, 20 plus countries, uh, lots of different uh, cultures and dynamics in different places. And, uh, you know, there's sort of different trade-offs to living in, in different uh, parts of Latin America and there's places that are safer than others. And so for me, for example, like the way that I always talk about this is like, you can't generalize a country, right? Like I always use Mexico as an example where some parts of Mexico are very dangerous and, and, you know, you should probably stay away from them, but then you have cities like Merida where they're actually, it's like the second safest city in North America. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of like I don't like the generalization of this country is safe, this country is not. But what are maybe some areas that you yourself as an expert on, you know, the area you would suggest people not traveling to for safety reasons? Yeah, it, it like and you have to realize even a country like Mexico is really like 30 countries in one. I mean, it's 130 million people. Uh, the dynamics are very different in the North versus the South, East, West, mm-hmm. et cetera. So if, if you're really like maximizing for safety, then Merida or the Yucatan or Campeche, the state beside the Yucatan is, uh, those are like safe bets and, you know, there's, uh, so that's one part of it. And I think even state or sorry, even within a given state, like neighborhood is very important, like staying in a safe neighborhood, things like that. And then, um, you know, parts of it is just how you carry yourself. But I think part of it is you do have to realize there is a bit of a trade-off where in Latin America, you just can't walk around at night with your AirPods in, looking at your phone, uh, you know, walking around at midnight. And that's just one of those luxuries of North America that you do kind of give up being in Latin America. So you can optimize for safety as much as you can, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a trade-off. Yeah, I mean, I think there's even parts in the 
in the United States where I wouldn't advise that, right? Like my wife is from Detroit. I'm not walking through some parts of Detroit uh, at any point of the day or at night with uh, with headphones or anything like that. But, you know, you said that you kind of have to really do your research around even neighborhoods. I mean, Mexico City, for example, there's parts of Mexico City that are perfectly fine to travel to and to be in. Then there's some parts of Mexico City that you should probably stay away from. How do you do that research? I'm curious, like yourself, like somebody listening, how can they sit down and say, hey, I'm traveling to this city. Is it safe? Is it not? What parts of it are safe? What parts of it are not? What is your process for determining that? Yeah, well, you can go to mylatinlife.com and look at our city guides. Um, But I think um, as much as the the neighborhoods is one thing, it's also just how you carry yourself. And, um, you know, if you're wearing shorts and flip flops and a Hawaiian shirt, and stuff like that. You're just you you just have a very different profile than someone that's you know wearing nondescript pants and a nondescript shirt, and uh, that's almost more important than like the neighborhood or the state uh, things like that. And um, you know just like not walking long distances, taking a two dollar Uber instead of walking a, a kilometer in a in a busy downtown. Sometimes that's worth it. Um, and just like you know, I think. Um, Avoiding maybe like tourist cities where it's like become part of the economy to do this, like in Medellin or uh, or even like you think the Condesa is safe, but, you know, there's 20 million uh, people in Mexico City and they all know that the rich people are in Condesa. And if they wanted to, to you know, steal some phones, that would be a good area to go. Right. And so you're almost better off being in like a more local neighborhood uh, where uh they're not looking to say like target tourists and stuff so there's all these like different dynamics at play you know there's no one one good Mm. answer yeah for sure what about uh maybe hidden gems let's talk about that everyone since covid has heard about playa del carmen they've talked about mexico there's all these things about mexico city and how actually there's a lot of movements that are anti-remote workers right because they're uh, raising the cost of living and that kind of stuff what are some hidden gems that you think are not as popular with digital nomads remote workers in latin america not necessarily in mexico just in general uh but that you think that should be right so they have a good cost of living uh they offer a good lifestyle they have great internet these sort of things are there some places that jump out to you that you're just like i can't believe that this isn't more popular yeah, sure. In Mexico, um, there's definitely a lot. I mean, basically anywhere on the beach with internet, you could call it a hidden gem. As long as the internet's good and you got a beach, like that's a sick place to be. Um, and then inland, like really there's a lot of cool cities in Mexico that uh, most people haven't heard of until they really kind of get into this LATAM remote work thing. But there's all these like million person or half million person cities that most people have never heard of. Like the, the average person back home has never heard of Querétaro or Puebla or, um, you know, Cuernavaca, things like that. And these are all cool cities where they have all the amenities, they have Airbnbs, good internet, uh, cheap taco stands and all that type of stuff. So uh, there's places in the beach and then there's places uh, in the city. Yeah, I'm. we're actually heading to Querétaro in January. And the thing is, like, no one's heard of it, uh, but it's like a, like a multi-million person city. It has like a Costco and everything. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's got like a bunch of amenities that, that you might want. It's got like a yeah, great downtown. Yeah, it's one of the fastest growing of cities in Mexico. Um, lots of jobs there for Mexicans, a lot of job creation, factories and stuff like that. 
Uh, on the beach, um, I, I, I think Mazatlan is, is going to keep growing. I think Mazatlan's like the sickest place. Um, so, yeah, there's really a lot. I think people are starting to go back to Acapulco. Had a bad reputation for a long time, but people are starting to think it's pretty cool. You know, jungle, beach, city, very cheap, stuff like that. Awesome sunsets. Um, Maybe yeah, that, uh, like, that like, Apple show yeah. that was actually filmed in Puerto Vallarta had something to do with it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that one, but yeah, uh, there, oh, really? I think uh, there's, there's a lot of cr- uh, there's a lot of critical mass. Yeah, there's a there's a show on Apple TV called uh, Acapulco, but it's actually filmed in Puerto Vallarta, and everyone knows like which hotel. It's like about like a hotel in Acapulco, and everyone knows like mm. oh that's the that's the hotel from the show. <laughs> uh, but what about like outside of Mexico? So I think Mexico at this point for remote workers, especially during COVID, became pretty popular. A lot of people probably discovered yeah. it. What are some countries and specifically cities within those countries outside of Mexico that you think um, are hidden gems in that way? Yeah, there's so many, like I said, because it's like 20 plus countries. Um, but I, uh, the first thing that comes to mind would be the Southern Cone, uh, which would be uh, Southern Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, and Chile. Because uh, you get down there kind of coming back to safety and that's like probably one of the safest regions of Latin America, also one of the most developed, uh, you know, one of the most sort of European, great infrastructure, internet, amazing food, steak, empanadas, wine, all that type of stuff. So I think the Southern Cone region where you have, you know, five countries in there, I think that region, like like pretty much everyone that I've heard of, that's uh, basically posted up there for a couple of months has been like, my life is so much better and uh, they just love it. Yeah, I've been so curious about that because it does seem like the best of both worlds in terms of like you have the best of Latin America and maybe like the best of Europe combined, uh, mm-hmm. especially in those countries like, you know, Argentina, like you were talking about. Now, Argentina is very a very popular spot, but one thing that I'm always thinking about is like they have a lot of economic instability from the people that you talk with that are there, you know, in Argentina, maybe if you've been there, how does that affect day-to-day life for, uh, you know, like a remote worker or digital nomad who may be there? Right. And well, in the Southern Cone, like I said, you got five countries, obviously Argentina is the most unstable of the five. Uh, so that has its trade-off. So if you, if you were optimizing more for stability, you could go to, uh, you know, Uruguay or Paraguay or Chile, uh, where they all have kind of stable currencies and things are pretty chill. But a little instability isn't necessarily a bad thing because it just keeps getting cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, you can go to a very fancy rooftop bar in Argentina in downtown Buenos Aires and pay like $2 for an Aperol spritz or an old fashioned or, you know, a nice drink. You could pay two bucks for a big old steak and two bucks for a bottle of wine and all that stuff. So it has its pros and cons. Like, Argentina definitely has some quirks about it. Like, uh, uh, you know, you'll you'll go to the ATM and it costs nine dollars to take out twenty dollars or something like that. So yeah, the it's black a little bit market quirky. Exchange rate, right? That everyone. Well, uses. just like there's the the ATM fees are weird. There's other stuff like you order an Uber and then they'll like text you and say you got to pay cash, but you already paid on card or something. There's like kind of like some weird things, and you got to kind of like learn the ropes, and that's part of the fun of it. Um, but overall, it's still like an awesome place. Once you figure it out, everyone still loves Argentina. Internet still works and everything like that. You can rent like super dope uh, uh, penthouse apartments for 
maybe 300 bucks or something like that. Just like super cool stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, pros and cons. What about other places? Like if we kind of head north from that, from that region, what are maybe like, let's say your top three favorite places, cities outside of Mexico in that region and the Horn region? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I still think Paraguay is super underrated, uh, which is, you know, a good thousand kilometers due north of, of Buenos Aires. Um, and what's cool about Paraguay is it has its own culture, uh, but it also combines the best of Argentina and Brazil because it shares a border with both. And so you can get empanadas from Argentina and you can get cochinas from Brazil, which is like a deep fried like dough with chicken. But anyway, and then so you can get like acai from Brazil and then you can get Malbec wines from Argentina. So everything that they like about these cultures, like they take a bit of both. And then uh, Paraguay also has its own thing with like, you know, like drinking yerba mate and speaking Guarani, the native language. So uh, Paraguay is always going to be a pretty cool spot. Um, Other ones. um, Yeah, I mean, I think I think Panama is honestly pretty underrated. Uh, It's been going through problems a little bit recently, but it's still like way cheaper than Costa Rica and uh, has a lot of business opportunities and a lot of cool, just like nature wise, it's insanely cool because you have, you know, the Atlantic Ocean on one side, the Pacific Ocean on the other, and you're only, it's only like 50 kilometers between the two in a big mountain range. And so it just leads to a whole lot of like very interesting, like biospheres and, and nature elements. And, you know, they grow coffee in the mountains and, and this and that, uh, lots of waterfalls everywhere. So I think Panama is very underrated as well. Lots of cool islands as well and surfing. You know, one of the things that you talk a lot about on the website and on your Twitter, of course, is about, you know, residency and getting citizenships in um, in some of these countries. What would be, if someone is listening to this that's like an American or a Canadian, what are some of the best programs or some of the easiest ways to, to get your foot in the door with a residency in Latin America? Like, you know, a lot of these countries are obviously putting up digital nomad programs or whatever it may be. What would mm-hmm. be... And I understand this is a very complex topic and it's going to differ from person to mm-hmm. person. But what do you think are some of the more interesting programs with a path to citizenship um, that you're aware of? Yeah, sure. I would say probably the two main categories or the two sort of easiest categories of getting residency in Latin America is going to be through what's called a rentista visa, which is like passive income or with... Um, uh, with a bank deposit, sort of like a p- independent means visa. And so if you have passive income from either a pension or from a rental property or any sort of consistent income stream that's making at least like 1500 bucks a month on average, I think Nicaragua, it might even be as low as like 600 a month. Some of them are more like 2000 a month, but literally every country in Latin America has a rentista scheme. And if you have a, a rental property in the States, and you can show that you know that's that has money coming in, or if you have a, a pension, obviously, then you could basically get residency in every country in Latin America. And what's cool is you could take that same income stream and basically show it to every single government, and you could probably go around the sweep the continent and get twenty residence visas with using that same income stream. <laughs> so mm. uh, if you have so if you have some sort of passive income, uh, uh, you're 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 very much in luck in Latin America. The other one is bank deposits, and this is so for people that don't have a passive income stream, I think bank deposits is the next easiest way to do it, where 
famously, like in Paraguay and in Panama, you would you would put five thousand bucks in a bank, and then that could lead to residency. Panama and Paraguay 5, recently 000? changed. Yeah, uh, they both recently changed, but uh, there's other ones as well. So other bank deposit based residencies would be Honduras. I think is like fifty k. Ecuador is thirty or forty k. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of like bank deposit based ones. Uh, so that those are very cool options as well. And then Paraguay is right now changing their thing because it just got way too popular. Everyone was just flying in, putting 5k in a bank, getting permanent residency. It never expires territorial tax country, basically no downside to doing so. So it started getting really, really popular. And just this past week, they changed their scheme and they're still sort of fleshing it out a bit. But what I've been told by my contacts is they just got rid of the 5k deposit. And now you can just pull up and you don't even have to make a deposit, but you get a, a two-year temporary residency now first, and then you're going to renew for permanent after two years. But basically you can just go pull up, get a two-year temporary residency and you don't even have to put money in the bank so is so that residency then kind of like uh almost like a tourist extension at first and then no no there's so there's temporary and then there's permanent residency um in some places you can get permanent residency off the bat and, and then in some countries you have to start as like a temporary resident which is something that would expire after one year or three or five years so for example uh mexican residency has been very popular um, with, you know, our remote worker crowd in the past two years and been very, very easy to get another place where, uh, deposits work as well. Um, and, uh, but everyone basically gets a temporary to start. So I may or may not have a four year temp visa in Mexico. And then at the end of the four years, uh, one could renew for, uh, for a permanent. Yeah. And I think for the, cause we looked at this into the Mexican temporary residence and you don't even have to do a bank deposit. You just have to show proof. You just show it. You just show it. Exactly. And so yeah, even the bank deposit ones that I was referring to. Yeah. Yeah. So you can show proof of income or you can show just a big deposit that you have at Wells Fargo back in the States. So with a lot of these bank deposit ones, some of them you have to bring money into the country and some of them you just have to show that you have money. Yeah. I think for, if I'm not mistaken, nobody quote me on this, but I think the Mexican one, you need to show like 2100 USD of like income from some sort of source. And if you can prove that basically the, the process to get residency, temporary residency afterwards is relatively simple. I mean, you have to obviously jump through a bunch of bureaucratic hoops. Uh, but if you like hire a lawyer to kind of like smooth that over, uh, we've had friends yeah. that have done it and they say that it's actually like easier than you think it is. Uh, even with those bureaucratic process. So I think that's always Yeah, Mexico is very, right very there. easy. I, I'd say pretty much anyone could qualify for Mexico either through income or through uh, savings. Uh, the only thing I would mention about Mexico that's worth noting is that it's going to differ depending on which consulate you do it through. I think almost literally every American state has its own consulate. So wherever you're a resident of, you just go through the consulate in your state and they have, they all have like slightly different requirements, uh, but they're all pretty close. So that's like with a lot of these things, it's just, yeah, it just depends, you know, which office you go through and then which lawyer you have and they'll just sort of, and things change so much. Um, but you know, the, I think the bottom line is in Latin America, if there's a will, there's a way, any country that you want to get into and get a temporary resident, temporary permanent residency, you can pretty much make it happen. 
Yeah, there's. I remember we're reading up into this, but it sounds like the uh, like the consulates in the United States that are the easiest slash the best to get Mexican residency like change every couple of months for whatever reason. And like, there's people on like Reddit that will say like, "Hey, the best one right now is this one." Like, everyone go here, uh-huh. or whatever. Maybe. Yeah, I heard it was like the McAllen one in in Southern Texas has like lower requirements because I don't know it's on the border, so it changes a little bit. There's probably some YouTubers that keep like really really up to date with it yeah um but they're they're pretty low requirements across the board to be fair so so if you had to right now pick one home base um in latin america obviously a large region but if you were to say hey i'm gonna go and base here for the next five years five to ten years what city would you choose and why Ooh, what city so regardless of sort of uh, the the residency considerations, just like a, a city that I would enjoy living in. Well, I would I would add that into it. Like if you right now personally were like, hey, I'm gonna go set up a home base in this place. I'm gonna call it home for five to ten years. Doesn't mean you don't travel out of it, but that's where your stuff is. Where would that city be? Um, it might be Mazatlan, to be honest. Okay, how come? Um, dude, the, the sunsets there are unreal. Like I've never seen, you, you know, you know, from Port, you lived in Puerto Vallarta, like the sunsets in Puerto Vallarta and Mazatlan, very similar. It's just, you watch the sun, uh, fall over the ocean and sort of get eclipsed by the ocean. And it's just like purple and red and orange. And it's just a little bit different every night. And you kind of walk the, the Malecon, you walk the boardwalk, you get some tacos, you watch the sunset. And it's just perfect weather and it's just such a great vibe, good seafood, relatively low cost of living. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's a good year round destination as well. I think that's kind of the problem with like Playa del Carmen and stuff is in the summer, it's just too humid oh and uh, yeah. it's very tough to sleep and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I think uh, the Vallarta, uh, Vallarta and Mazatlan are just like really good destinations. And I think that they're going to keep growing and I'm very bullish on them as uh, retirement destinations. Yeah. I mean, I love the Yucatan. Obviously I spent a lot of time in Merida, but Merida post March is like unbearable in my opinion. It just gets so hot. It's like 90 plus degrees every day. And it's just, it's, I mean, you, and you're thinking like, okay, well at least you're gonna have AC inside, but like, you can't go outside because it's so hot. And I don't feel like you quite get that as much. It's like a laser Coast. beam. Like you just walk it, out. It's and you shocking. Can. It's just it's absolutely <laughs> shocking. Um, I'm curious why, you know, you kind of mentioned Puerto Vallarta, but you picked Mazatlan. And I'm curious, why did you pick that over Puerto Vallarta? Because looking at pictures I've never been, it seems very mm-hmm. similar, although PV looks like it's bigger. So you would assume you'd have better... Uh, amenity. So why pick Mazatlan over PV? Yeah, Vallarta versus Mazatlan. Um, yeah, a little stream of consciousness. Uh, Mazatlan's a little bit cheaper. Uh, it's going to have less gringos. Uh, it's kind of more walkable and kind of has more ver- variety of neighborhoods, I think. Vallarta really doesn't have too, too many neighborhoods. It's just like, yeah, um, it's like Decembro 13, whatever it's called. And I don't know, yeah, fifth, but like so, fifth of December, yeah, December fifth, yeah, fifth of yeah. December. But uh, Talk yeah, about so Mazatlan, 
But yeah, Ma I think Mazelan's better, uh, a little bit it's less hilly, cheaper, less gringos, longer, uh, longer boardwalk, better beach, better sand. Um, I think better uh, surfing as well. It's got the ferry to the Baja Peninsula, so you can mm. hop on. You can hop on the overnight ferry to Baja, uh, which I've done, which was an amazing experience. Highly recommended. Uh, you're also much closer to the states if you needed to rip up there. Um, and, uh, the there's airport? still, uh, still decent airport. Like in the winter, they have direct flights to Canada and basically all over the States. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, Mazelan also has more culture. It's like a cultural center in, in Mexico, obviously for banda music and, uh, famous artists and they have, you know, a soccer team and a famous baseball team. And, um, I ju you just feel like a better and like the whole Sinaloa vibe, and so you just, you feel, I think you feel like a better sort of like sense of community and belonging in Mazatlan, where in Vallarta, you might just feel like another sort of like expat negated community type of thing. Um, I think Vallarta doesn't have quite as much culture. I love Vallarta. Like I, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I, I enjoyed it. I could, I could make it work, but uh, I like Mazatlan a little better. Yeah. The interesting thing, just looking on the map here, one of the things that you, if you spend a long amount of time in Puerto Vallarta that you feel is the city is kind of almost stretched around the bay. And mm -hmm. that's cool because you're always close to the beach or to the jungle. But then it makes it really hard if you need to go to do something that's on the other side of the bay. Because essentially kind of like everything's yeah, a little a bit big far bay. away. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. And so Mazatlan seems to be a bit more regularly shaped. Like it seems more like a circle. So it it's might more be like contiguous. Easy. Yeah, as opposed it's to... It's more like, contiguous. Um, and also, I think the other big out. thing is uh, much less earthquakes um, because that sort mm -hmm. of earthquake belt, the earthquake belt basically goes from like Oaxaca to Vallarta. If you look at the map of Mexico, it's kind of like this one continuous line. And then like Mazatlan is like on this like other line that that's basically off the uh, I guess off the like tectonic plate or whatever. So uh, much less earthquakes and I think met less uh, like hurricanes and stuff, too. So um, anyone that was in Mexico like a month or two ago when that crazy one hit uh, probably doesn't want to ex experience too, too many of those. So uh, Mazatlan's a little bit better. What about last question here before we wrap up? I've been hearing more and more about Baja. How do you feel about it uh, in terms of this conversation? Like La Paz, I've heard really nice things about. Obviously, Cabo mm -hmm. is down there as well, although that's quite touristy. What is your opinion on on Baja and, and any interesting places there uh, as remote worker digital nomad destinations? Yeah, absolutely. So La Paz and Cabo are kind of the two big regions or big cities. Cabo actually consists of a couple different cities. So there's Cabo San Lucas, and then there's uh, the other one. Uh, I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting the name, but it's a little bit east, and it's a little bit less of a party spot and where all the kind of like... San rich, Jose del rich... Cabo? Yeah, San Jose del Cabo. That's where like the rich people live, and that also has an international airport with direct flights. So there's kind of like two airports down in, in Los Cabos, and then there's also an airport up in La Paz. Um I think the whole area is like physically extremely stunning. Like the whole thing is like a UNESCO reserve or whatever. I rented a car and I drove like the whole thing around and I did the whole heel. And so I went down one side and then up the other. And what you'll see if you look at a map is, uh, so I started in La Paz 
And if you go down the east side, there's a place called Los Barriles, and it's like a famous like windsurfing town and sort of like water sports town. And then you make your way down the Cabo, and it's all nice. It's it's much nicer than I thought. I thought Cabo would be like a little cheesy, but I I, I overall liked it. Um, and then if you go up the west side, like the side facing the ocean, there's a uh, an up and coming town called Todos Santos, and I I feel like it's kind of like the Tulum of Baja California, or almost like the oh boy. or almost like other than like Sayulita and Puerto Escondido, Todos Santos is like the next like little like hippie yoga, eat, pray, love, smoke, weed, beach town. And uh, it has its own vibe and it, it feels very different and very, um, you know, that's sort of like independent, like, I don't know, like free love type energy. But uh, Toto Santos is pretty cool. And I think we'll, we'll definitely continue to grow as sort of like that sort of like a more alternative vibe within the Baja Peninsula. Um, so keep an eye out for Los Bariles and Todos Santos, kind of the two smallish towns on either side to continue to grow. There might even be one or two more. I forget. I, but uh, there, and there's like a lot of cool history in that area. Like it was very, it, it was originally populated for um, for the gold and silver mining uh, like a hundred years ago. And, and there's still a lot of the history of that. And there's like these old, like semi-abandoned mining towns and stuff like that. Before that, uh, hundreds of years before that, there was, um, the, the, the Jesuit priests and sort of the, the Spanish Jesuit, um, communities that were built. And there's still sort of leftover churches kind of all over the Baja Peninsula from that as well. Um, so there's kind of a lot of, a lot of cool, lesser known history in the Baja Peninsula. And yeah, it's a great like year round destination. I think in the, in the summer and the winter, you could pretty much go year round. And uh, it's, I think it's actually like a really, really nice area. People might complain that there's too many gringos from California and, and Arizona and stuff coming down. Um, but I like it because I think what you'll happen or what you'll notice is that on the West side of Mexico, you get more West Coast Americans and Canadians. And on, then on the East side of Mexico, you get more East Coast Canadians, right? So I think in like Tulum, Playa, et cetera, you see more New Yorkers, Boston, Toronto, Montreal. And then uh, on the, you know, in the Baja and in Mazatlan and stuff, you're seeing more people from Calgary and Oregon and Idaho and, and California and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that's, that's a little breakdown. <laughs> Yeah, when you're talking about Todos Santos, it reminds me of uh, another town that I think is headed in that direction is Bacalar uh, in the mm -hmm. Yucatan. Uh, no, mm -hmm. that's not Yucatan. That's Quintana Roo. Um, that is also another one of those places where I was like, oh, boy, like here's the Tulum, Tulum number two. Yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, For sure. I, yeah, I saw him. Uh, there's a, you, you should try to interview uh, this girl, Cashley, who runs Travel Off Path, uh, which is okay. a pretty big sort of like news travel blog. Um, and she lives in Mazatlan and I guess she was just in, in Bacalar a couple of weeks ago. And she said like Bacalar is the new Tulum because it really has that aesthetic. It's got these like insanely like turquoise lakes and, um, tons of like, you know, hostels and co-living spaces and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, for sure. You're right. Yeah. I had a lot of people there tell me like, this is what Tulum looked like 20 years ago. And there's a lot of like locals that are like God, I hope not. But then obviously there's, uh, you know, a lot of money to be made from that. 
But anyways, Vance, uh, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, uh, you know, give us a chance to dive in deep on Latin America. And I know we focused a lot on Mexico, but we also talked about a lot of other countries. Uh, let people know again, where can they find out uh, those city guides that you talked about and uh, where can they check out the podcast? What's the easiest way to, to find that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say I'm most responsive these days on Twitter. So you can get me at my Latin life on Twitter. I feel like that's where everyone is uh, connecting these days. And I really enjoyed it. Um, just sort of getting the chance to connect with all different cool people there. And you can send me a DM and at me and all that stuff. Uh, so at my Latin life on Twitter, the website is mylatinlife.com, mylatinlife.com slash city guides. Check out our 100 plus city guides to everywhere in Latin America. Find out where to stay, safety, best neighborhoods, nightlife recommendations, best bars, things like that. And uh, where else? The podcast, uh, the My Latin Life podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, all that good stuff. And Mitko has been a guest as well. So this you can uh, check I out have. our episode there. Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much for coming by. This was fun.